each meaningless thought The shell appears strong, but the inside is right It's time to be stirred, the time is now The winds have changed, read the signs No time to hide, the winds have changed Millennia ago from the little cave on the tiny island of Podmos in the Aegean Sea, the heavens opened. Since then, the world has been fascinated by the cosmic upheaval brewing on the horizon of history. The upheaval is now upon us. It is within us. To some degree, it always has been. But there has been a sudden and violent shift in the affairs of the world. The winds have changed. Heaven will not be silent. Let's now join Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago, and author of A Mother's Plea, For the Winds Have Changed. Together we can pave the way for a hopeful response to the signs of our times. And good Monday afternoon. This is Mary Helen Fiorito. I am the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame, and joined, as I ever am each Monday, or most Mondays, by Loretta Freilich, who is a formal criminal prosecutor for the Cook County State's Office, um, State's Attorney's Office, rather. Loretta, welcome. Well, welcome to you, Mir. How are you? I am, I am well. Did you go to the St. Patrick's Day Parade on uh, Saturday? Uh, you know, or did you avoid it like the plague? You know, I have to honestly say, I'm sorry I missed it. Yeah. Um, cause a little too cold for me. Uh, no, yeah. never too cold for a St. Patrick's Day parade. Well, there you go. But there, you know, there's nice neighborhood ones now. You yes. know, now there's one on the northwest side. There's mm. always the, the south side. You know what? The south side parade really has become the real St. Patrick's Day parade. And I don't like the and the trotting out of politicians. Yes. Um, and it's compared to the parade in Dublin. I don't know if you know that, but people that have gone to the St. Patrick's Day parade in Dublin say that this parade is only second to that one. The Chicago downtown parade or the South Side parade? South Side Irish South Side parade. parade. Yeah, that's a um, where where both Lori Lutfield and Governor Prisker were roundly booed last year, and they <laughs> oddly enough did not show up. And um, yeah, you know, I, actually, I this is really something that I want to bounce off you. I think I know how you'll feel about it, but on. Uh, um, Friday, both Lori Lightfoot and uh, Governor Pritzker, um, Governor Pritzker had a proclamation from the state to honor Illinois abortionists. And Lori Lightfoot also, you know, declared it like Illinois Abortion Provider Day. Lori Lightfoot had six different tweets honoring abortionists Mm -hmm. in the city of Chicago. And Pritzker Mm -hmm. had all these abortions. So um, and then the next day, there was J.B. Pritzker at uh, at mass at Old St. Pat's Church prior to the parade. I'm shocked. Yeah, st- standing with six, pr- you know, the shamelessness of this and, you know, uh, whether or not the, the people planning the parade or the priests there realized that he had issued proclamations honoring abortionists the day before. I don't know. Um, but it just shows you it, it just it just the, the rank hypocrisy of it. I mean. I am no Pritzker fan. I, I didn't think I could possibly have a lower opinion of him than I do now. But the the absolute crass use of a religious holiday that is very important to yes. Irish Catholics yes. to use that as a way to promote because he has you know he has presidential aspirations and he's mm-hmm. made no secret of that fact. So he honors abortionists and then he thinks there is absolutely nothing wrong. That the whole ceiling didn't cave in. And, you know, up upon him or a lightning bolt. And I, I'm, I'm surprised, but I am just. Well, Mary, you astounded. know, the old joke, you know, the old joke. And What's it's, that? Uh, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. There you go. I mean, I. And I, how about how about Hanoi Jane on The View on Friday? Oh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I am proud to say that I think of in, in the entire run of The View, I've maybe watched it three times. So I, I, I avoid that. Like, what happened? I heard, so, I saw some things on Twitter. Tell me. Well, she was guest in. along with uh, her co-host. The Harpies. The Harpies. Yes, the Harpies. Do they even have a, like, a pretend uh, conservative voice anymore there, or is it just all the Harpies now? You know, I don't know because I don't watch the show regularly, okay, yeah. but when they, they start reporting, when they start reporting on it, um, Jane Fonda was talking about, she got a round of applause, I guess, when she said uh, she was talking against uh, 
the restrictions on abortion now. And she said, we're not going back. We've had this for right for decades, and we're not going back. And she got a round of applause. And she was asked uh, by the reigning conservative, Joy Behar, uh, yes, uh, tongue-in-cheek, um, well, besides marching and protesting, what is it we can do? Jane's answer was murder. Yeah. And and one of the guests on the or one of the hosts or did somebody. She say, did she say it that bluntly? Yes, she, she did. Yes. Go ahead. You can so, watch it. It's on video. And then she, I guess, was asked, uh, what? And somebody, she said murder. So she said it twice. And I just really thought, hmm, is she in contact with all these people that are bombing uh, you know, pregnancy resource centers, you know, the, those organizations that only want to help their mothers, their clients carry their babies to term, provide them diapers and, you know, those those jewel gift cards and, you know, CTA cards to get to their doctor's appointments and school. You know, I, I just I was absolutely stunned and that there is not an outcry. She should be removed from guesting. On The View ever. She should be removed as a guest. ABC, The View should come out with a statement Mm -hmm. saying how they denounce her, you know, advocating murder and her response. Oh, it was a joke. So they want to get rid of it. Were people laughing when she said it? No. They want to get rid of Tucker Carlson, who's doing amazing things like, you know, providing Hours. I mean, I, I don't even want to go into the January 6th withholding of evidence. It's called a Brady violation. It is against the law, against a, you know, a federal law to withhold information that may or may not exculpate your client. And people are going to jail and have gone to jail. Yeah without having all of the evidence. And now there's some poor guy, I don't even know who it is. I got to I have to honestly say I haven't been t- paying that close attention. But there's some guy that already is been found guilty and yet at the time he was alleged to have been raiding the Capitol with his right. insurrectionist views, he was in the in with two police officers who were directing him where to go. Hmm. So help me with that. How is he creating an act of terrorism and violence on our state capitol when he's right with the police, walking them through. being escorted. Yes, based on the videos (laughs) that Tucker Carlson is is exposing. And so, you know, really it has become, you know, the old, what the Lord told us, what's good is evil, what's evil is good. And so you guys got to put, we had our listeners, we know you're the best listeners ever. You put your scriptural and your traditional ears on, your reasonable ears, but no, you are not crazy. Jane Fonda did advocate murder of pro-lifers. Yeah. I feel scared, Mary. I well, feel you know scared. what? It's it's not you know. Of course, she wouldn't do it herself. But you know, there could be an unstable person who hears her, and then because of her, um, you know, her her, I don't know what what people think of her as a public figure or what have you. They might say, "Hey, she's right." You mean and, like the guy that drove from California and showed up on Brett Kavanaugh's doorstep, mm-hmm. a man with, with, with a wife ties, and a family and with children, zip ties and knives and guns, and he had every everything he needed. To um, take the to, family into custody, right? Yeah, to, to murder Ugh. to murder a sitting Supreme Court justice. So, um, uh, so at any rate, it's um, yeah, interesting times that we live in. In the um, interesting times that we live in, it's a great time to have our guest on today. Well, I am I am really looking forward to uh, to speaking with Matt Rosenberg, who we have uh, spoken to, of course, on a couple of other occasions. He has a new piece out at Wirepoints about Chicago's murder rate and. Um, you know, one of the things I've got to go back and look at Lori Lightfoot's Twitter feed. I might do that while we're on the break, Loretta. But, um, you know, she tweeted six different times about uh, how wonderful abortionists are in uh, in Chicago and in the state of Illinois. Um, <laughs> while we buried a police officer oh, yes. this week, we buried a police officer. And you perhaps I, I hope you will speak to this with Matt because this is your area. So I'll step aside. But um, who had been involved, he was, a, first of all, a known Latin King gang member, known Latin King, known to the police as a member of the Latin Kings. The, the, the defendant, not our police officer. So, oh, sorry. No, no, no. The defendant, <laughs> the person who murdered this police officer. Yes. Uh, who had been involved in a, a drive-by shooting the summer before 
and who was uh, uh, found attempting to solicit a minor child to to take out you know to take out somebody else to do a murder for, on behalf of the gang because as you can tell our listeners minors aren't charged in the same way as adults and uh, he instead of being sentenced to some prison time or jail time awaiting his trial he got 25 hours of community service mm-hmm. and well after finishing his 25 hours of community service he turned right I think shot that officer lasso I believe at very close range from yes. what I it appears to be I yes mean, and I think you know, some first of those of details all, Mary, are being um, are being uh, Withheld, I think, to protect the family's right. sensitivities, obviously. And, and, you know, Mary, I know you, um, we have family and friends who are officers. I know in my family, every time an officer is shot, we relive my cousin's death. Oh, can you tell our listeners about that, Loretta? Because, you know, no one want, no one does ever forget, certainly in a family and among their former coworkers. But please tell our listeners about your own personal experience with this, because this is I, and, you know, I have my high right. school friend, uh, Paul Bauer, who was murdered. So I have an amazing cousin and I know that he's watching over our family. But uh, John Robert Thomas and he was first deputy superintendent of the Chicago Police Department. Uh, his last act was to. um Sign a race for the rank and file. He was always such a good guy. And I can't tell you how many times I saw him when I would be out and about at different events, parades, whatever. You know, he was always sending his sergeants out on the hot days when they were all out on, uh, you know, serving and protecting in large numbers to have his the sergeants get his rank and file um, water he was somebody who was so down to earth. He has the most amazing family. His wife, Candy, um, Carrie and Katie are his daughters. And, you know, really any time a police officer is shot in the city, I go back to, um, you know, that day. But certainly, um, you know, he died uh and we are blessed to have been part of the police officer family that they care so well for their own. They really do. Yeah, so it's, our condolences. It's really remarkable yes. to see what they do at the time our when con- an officer is lost. And our condolences go out to every police officer in the city of Chicago. When they lose one of their own, it, it, is, it is truly family and it is such a—the word somber— is what comes to mind. It's, yeah. it's, well, it's more reverent. than sad. It's reverent. It is yeah. reverent, but it's more than sad. There's, yeah. It's a somber love for this person who put their life on the line. And that's what that officer did. Andres Vasquez Lasso, uh, he put his life on the line yeah. for you know the people that he served in the city of Chicago when he chased a man with a gun who was committing a domestic battery. And really, I can't stress this enough. Yeah. What would the social worker have done? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. What would the social, except be dead in his wake right now. This this whole thing we should, you know, and I understand it. You want people to be trained in de-escalation, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the The the, police are trained in de-escalation. Let them do their job. Gary McCarthy was the former superintendent of police. I heard him being interviewed on a radio show about this. And just the poor man was, um, they they played the 911, not the 911, but the dispatcher. The dispatcher. uh, exchange between the police officers who were on the scene and the dispatcher, and then you hear that horrible ten one ten one officer down, and he was like he had to compose himself to continue on with the radio interview. But yes. he said, "If you do this, if you send out social workers," and he said, "You're going to have a lot of dead social workers. That's, that's what, right. That's what we're going to have in addition to dead officers." And you're going to create a situation where more than the victim. In addition to that individual, you've now created another person the police have to protect. Right. You know, one of the when I was a state's attorney, one of the um, an assistant state's attorney. I was never Kim Fox. Um, one of the you should have been. That. We'd be in a lot <laughs> best, better place if you were. So one of the um, requirements among the supervisors was that you go on a ride along with the police. Okay. Now, the last thing the police want to do is take a civilian on a ride-along. Um, I was blessed to go along on a ride-along with a friend whose father was a lieutenant. Ironically, he just showed up at the station yeah. <laughs> afterward. But these police officers, honest to God, Mary, they handed me a vest and told me to put it on. And when I got this thing on, it was a dress. 
It was so long. It was down to my knees because they weren't going to have me shot. They were not going to. And what was really interesting was, you know, the, the weight of the vest. So people, when you see officers out there serving and protecting us civilians and they've got their vest on, they've got their duty belt on and they have this extra weight that they are running and chasing and going after, you know, protecting us. It is no easy task. And and I really think that people need to, you know, have what you said, Mary, about a reverence, a reverence for what these men and, do, and women do. They put their lives on the line mm-hmm. for you and me and the civilians that are out there. You know, it, it's and you want to add a third person that they've got to take care of between between the victim and the defendant. Nobody wants to shoot and kill a defendant. Right. right. But you've now got the added restraint they must show because no matter what they do they're wrong. Right. You've right. got the, exactly. You've got the victim who is uh, today they're emotionally upset that they tried to kill me, but tomorrow they'll be defending the person. Right. And you've got now a social worker. I mean, think about that, Mary. That makes absolutely no common sense. It is not a reasonable request. I mean, what are you going to do? Hold up, Mr. Shooter. I want you to stop and listen to this social worker. Let her calm you down and maybe you'll give her the gun. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's it's was this your experience? I've mm. I've I'm heard it said that it's the two most dangerous stops police can go out on are domestics and then followed by tra- just traffic stops. Right. Traffic I mean, stops are the worst. Yeah. You do not well, you Ella don't French know was, what you're getting. Yeah. You do not know what you're getting on a traffic stop. And you know, I, I have to tell you, I have always, always told, you know, the kids in my family, you get stopped for a traffic stop. I want to see your hands at 10 and 2. You show the officer he has or she has nothing to fear from you. Right. Comply with every request. I can't even tell you. Every every legal order, you comply with it. Even illegal. Even illegal, Mary. And I'll tell you why. Because resisting arrest. Oh, no, no. I'm not suggesting resisting arrest ever. No, no, no. I'm just saying, you know, normally the police will say, like, if you go back and look at some of these arrest tapes, Mm -hmm. sir, I'm giving you a legal order. Ma'am, I'm giving you a legal order. You know, they use that particular language. So if they say that to you, then you comply with what they're asking. Right. You know, no one needs your smart arse comments. No one needs you trying to be funny. The police officer will not think it's funny. 99.9% of the time. No. And the place to resolve a dispute between the police officer and you is in the court of law. That's it is, you know, gotten to that level. Well, we're going to go for uh, our first break. And when we come back, Matt Rosenberg of Wirepoints is going to be with us, Loretta. And I got a beef with Matt Rosenberg Ah! that I'm going to discuss before we even get into it. Um, This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Fralick sitting in for Father Anthony here on Winds of Change. Don't go away. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy. St. Stan's is an exceptional private elementary school in Chicago, serving preschool, age three and four, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and first grades. We incorporate Catholic values and rigorous academic social-emotional learning, Chinese, Spanish, STEM, and more providing our students with leadership and life skills to transform our world. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy is conveniently located one block north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. To schedule your tour, visit ststanschicago.org. ststanschicago.org. I'm Loretta Freilich, Winds of Change guest host, and you are listening to the Winds of Change. This is Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy and host of EWTN Radio's Open Line Tuesday. Heavenly Father, we ask that this Lenten season prove grace-filled for each one of us, allowing for a humble examination of self that is Christ-centered and which fosters a greater awareness and love for the three eminent good works of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And welcome back. This is Mary Fiorito, and I'm joined, as I am every Monday, by my co 
host Loretta Freilich here on EWTN's new voice for Catholic Radio in the Chicagoland area, WSFI and WNDZ on AM750. So thank you for making us a part of your Monday lunchtime. Well, as I started the tease at the end by saying, I have a beef with Matt Rosenberg. No, what could it yeah, be? Matt, are you there? I am here. You, <laughs> do you see what I... Matt sounds afraid, and he should... Matt, oh, Matt, I do, don't think Matt could ever sound you, afraid. Oh, He's too smart. Trust me, Mary, I am not afraid. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt and I are going to go mano a mano here, because I got a... See, Matt, did you see what I did there? I got a beef with you? See? Wasn't that clever? I, I, I heard that. Yes. I like that. And you... Yes. Well, here's the... So Matt and I have been uh, long engaged in public conversation about Chicago's best beef, which is a very, obviously, personal and important decision. So... Matt came out with his lovely wife uh, and met my husband and I at the Mecca that is Johnny's Beef in Elmwood Park, Illinois. Mary, are you getting paid for all these endorsements you're doing? Johnny's what a great Johnny's Beef. I just try to share my love of beef with the world. Do you get? And do you eat for free there? No, I do. I, no, I don't. I, I, anyway, so long story short, right. Matt, Matt, who is an accomplished uh, travel writer and food uh, food writer and food critic as well, so Matt is not. Matt's an expert in this space, and I will grant him that. He gave Johnny's a B plus, Loretta. <laughs> Only a B plus, man. I know. Oh wait, Matt. So I Matt, might Matt have a beef not, with yes, you. I'd say, yeah, exactly. See, Loretta, you know, Loretta is a West Sider like I am, Matt. So Matt, mm-hmm. Matt, they go on vacation Matt, for two going, weeks. Uh-huh, Matt's like already bored. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, they go on vacation for two weeks. I think my family goes into withdrawal. That's right. People <laughs> buy them and freeze them for the two weeks at Johnny's. Matt, can you just like describe to the listeners why it is? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm on the, in that Saturday Night Live skit. Do you remember with the, um, you know, with the bears, with the the, the sausage and stuff like that? Um, why it is you would give this abysmal rating to Johnny's Beef? Well, let me back up the bus here, <laughs> as my irritating brother-in-law likes to say. So, first of all, I went on something called Beef Quest 23. That's right. It was Beef Quest. So we had Hot I went Dog Quest all... 22 and then Beef Quest 23. Right. Okay. Dog Quest 22, Dog Quest. Beef Thank Quest you. 23. So I went all over, and um, I found that, to my taste, the best Italian beefs were not from Italian beef joints proper, but they were from... Italian specialty stores, yeah. and I can tell you the three that I like the best. Okay. One, as West Sider, you should be quite familiar with. It's called Natalie and Son, yep. I know and the 7600 block of West Belmont. Yep. Um, there was Bari, of course, in West Town, right. and then actually Freddy's and Cicero. And the common denominator in all of these places, as you may already know, right. they're great. They're gr- places to hang out. They're right. real, like, Italian delis. They love food, and it's not just like a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, beef joint. Right. That is true. But, that is true. And the quality of the beef. So I realized I don't like the shaved thin, semi-dry stuff. I Got don't it. like it uh, drenched and soggy, and I know we have a, a strong point of disagreement there. Yes, we do. Um Dipped, you know, uh, turns into soggy way too right, fast, right. in my esti- estimation. So, you know, there were a lot of uh, standard places that I gave a B plus. Tony's is renowned uh, at seventy first mm-hmm. and Pulaski. They got a B or a B plus. Um, you know, there were several uh, rays on Narragansett. People swore it was the best. I was wholly unimpressed. So, really? you know, part. Yeah, 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 it just just wasn't, you know, that special. So part of my value add is being in just a picky son of a gun, right? Well, you know, and, and, and I know this is your area, and you, you made some very good points about, mm-hmm. you know, about the quality of the beef and the bread, which I, mm-hmm. you know, which I am a... Um, it should have got an A-. minus. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> well, and he, 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 he liked the Italian ice, and, and you had good things to say about the Jardinera. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's real Jardinera, and um, you're working your way up to an A, man. Yeah. Keep it up, but, but Freddie, you know, yeah. maybe maybe I'll visit again, and I'll hit Gene and Jude's to uh, to have one right. of the best hot dogs, right? In Chicago, so that, didn't that win um, Dog Quest? Gene and Jude's was was one of my winners in Dog Quest twenty two. <laughs> okay. okay, all right. Yeah, well, now that Jim's we've... original was up there, and one or two other places but, were up there, but there were places. In Dog Quest, revealingly that, uh, as in the Beef Quest, that were, uh, you know, reputed to be among the best, right. like Byron's, 
Byron's on right. Irving Park. Yeah. And I went there. Their, their dog was a complete mess. Yes. You know, they, the oversteamed they threw bun, about right? a, a ton of salad on top of right. it, iceberg lettuce. Yes. What, what is that doing there? Lettuce, yes. for gosh sakes. Yeah, what is that? That's very wrong. I, I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, you know, so somebody's got to carry the torture. Yeah. Sal's a B plus for Johnny's. I yeah. think you. I think you're on. Well, We're going to reschedule Italian, you. He liked Italian ice, I, but you know what? It was quite cold, and and Matt and his mm-hmm. wife were stalwarts, and we sat outside like we should. And um, mm-hmm. uh, but it was quite chilly, and that that may have somehow impeded your taste buds. That's what I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps they were a little too over. I don't know, frozen or something from the cold wind and all. And let it be known that we've invited your brains. Not your taste buds. That's right. To okay, today's that's right. show. So we should, you know, so. Well, Matt and I needed to clear the air because we had a little bit of a, you know, Facebook tiff, the two of us. So now that we have reconciled and Matt has agreed to come on, um, I had to. I told him he was dead to me. And- <laughs> I just let that roll right off my back, Mary. You just ignored me, which made me even angrier. Anyway, but it was lovely. Matt Matt has a lovely wife, and we had a lovely conversation. And uh, I got to meet a friend of Matt's from uh, from elementary school. Matt Matt knows everybody every place. You can just like walk in anywhere, and somebody knows you. It's it's quite remarkable. So. Um, But anyway, well, thanks thanks for coming back on and and to to move to Mm -hmm. more serious things. I saw um, Mm -hmm. over the weekend. This horrific story about a woman standing at uh, the outdoor platform uh, on the red line at Adams and Wabash, and some random man tried to push her onto the track, tracks, and she resisted him, and then he stabbed her to death. Um, on a Saturday evening, I think about 1 in the morning. Matt, did you follow that story at all? I, I know you, I, you track I, these things. I, I did, and, and sadly, I guess, but importantly, part of my work is keeping track of just the running string of horrific crimes uh, in Chicago so that when, for instance, some columnist asks, what's all the fuss about crime? Aren't Paul Vallis supporters racist? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'll have a little bit of ammunition to be able to say, here's what the fuss is about crime. And, of course, it goes to aggregate statistics, not just a a string of one-off incidents, but those incidents aren't one-off anymore, and too many of them are just entirely horrific, well, like that one you, you brought well, up. you know, and we're all Chicago people on the show here. And so, you know, I, I went to Loyola, so I took the red line probably every other day, you know, because I went between the downtown campus and the Lakeshore campus. And I, on a Saturday night, I, I might have maybe wanted to have a girlfriend with me if I was out, say, after midnight. But it wouldn't have been unheard of if you were out, you know, downtown meeting friends, that you'd take the red line back up to the Loyola stuff. I, I just... I, it could be any college kid, and you know. Then there's been a couple of cases at University of Chicago near where you grew up, Matt, where just yeah. innocent students, most of them from other countries. I just that one young man who was had a summer internship, yeah, who was just taking the L back um, from his son, mm-hmm. and it just it was a stray bullet. It, stray bullet hit him. There was this beautiful um, 50 year old woman in Austin where I grew up, uh, getting her groceries out of her car, was hit by a stray bullet and killed. And and the local churches in that community have come up with a ten thousand dollar um, you know, for information, a reward for information about her death, because, you know, it, it's unlikely the killers are ever going to be caught. So, I mean, these are just mm-hmm. some, I, I know they're anecdotal, but they feel personal to me because I, I can, I can see personal connections to all of them. Matt, what's just, let's just start with your piece where you analyzed recently the murder trends across the nation. And tell us what you found specific to Chicago, please. Uh, we looked at 75 biggest cities for which public data were available on 2022 murders, criminal homicides, and we found that uh, Chicago uh, led the nation in number of homicides and on murder rate, which some people prefer, we had the second highest murder rate among the nation's 20 biggest cities. If you draw back to a wider pool, we were 13th highest when looking at the uh, 75 biggest cities in the country. But importantly, Chicago's murder rate, 25.8 per 100,000, it is uh, 40% higher in 2022 than in 2019. And we found that was a common pattern in all of the uh, biggest homicide hubs that the murder rate in many of them, more than half, was going up 
from 2019. And really, we all know the sort of the great unraveling uh, began anew in uh, in 2020 after George Floyd was killed. So you know, you can find a number to make it sound like Chicago's. Uh, murder problem isn't bad, but you can find other numbers as we did to to put it in greater perspective. Yeah, it's it's, um, and I know that there have been some attempts to sort of pick apart your um, report and and to try to to cast it in sort of a you know a racial uh, light, which I just I I really find that just frankly despicable because we're talking about human lives here. We're talking about black people and brown people and white people and everyone in our city is being affected by this but at any time you try to say listen we have got to sit down here and face the facts um you know there's there's these side conversations that start to pop up that have absolutely nothing to do with the, with the matter at hand and loretta i know you know as a former prosecutor you have a lot of insight on this as well well you know I, um matt just tell us why why is this murder rate up so high because it's certainly something that has started. I remember before, I mean, I went to law school later in life before um, spending, you know, 23 plus years at the Cook County State's Attorney. But even before that, when I was still in law school and working in the private sector, I remember riding the L one day in the morning on my way to work. So it's got to be like 8.15. And... A man slid over in his seat next to me, a very happy man, and he offered to share his breakfast with me, which was a <laughs> bottle in a brown bag. It was the last time I rode the L. And I go and start taking the Metro train, and I'm looking around, and I remember distinctly thinking, this is all, this is where all the former riders of the, of the CTAL have gone. It, at 8 o'clock in the morning. So yeah. I can tell you, I would not get on the L today. I, I wouldn't do it. It's, you're taking your life in your hands. But why is this murder rate up? Why are we number one? Well, we're number one in total number of murders, and we're second among uh, big, big cities in our murder rate. Uh, I think it's because we've really lost control of things. Alderman Ray Lopez has been pointing this out for several years, uh, and this is one of those things you can't say, but he does, and I give him credit. He says the family unit uh, has fallen apart. But more than that, I, I think, you know, murder, of course, we don't want to look at it in a vacuum, right? Other right. crimes matter greatly. They're up to many of the major crimes, of which there are seven. Uh, and we have a court system here in Cook County, and, and, and you've worked on it, so I'm sure you're aware of this, that, uh, you know, keeps putting a convicted felons back on the street very soon, often on probation, and uh, we'll take a guy who's already got three or four felonies and earns a new felony charge, um, and they'll put him back on the street, even if it's maybe his uh, fourth felony weapons bust, and he's got three prior convictions. And then that guy goes maybe and carjacks someone or shoots them or kills them, and, uh, you know, uh, the judges and the prosecutors are surprised. And then he's held on no, no cash bail before trial. So multiply that by hundreds and thousands of instances. And, uh, you know, it's not just parents. It's not just our rotten school system. But, you know, some people, including progressives, they say take a holistic look. We believe in a holistic view, too. There's a lot of pieces here, the courts, the schools, and parents are all part of this. Well, Vic, Matt, can you just talk a little bit about the role that the gangs play in all of this? And I want to come back to your um, your point about social structures, because um, I think it's very, very important. And I raised it one time in a meeting of city leaders and was, you know, called a racist to my face for, for raising it. I don't know. Um, I just wanted to get to solutions. But I have a couple of police friends. I grew up in a very heavily policed neighborhood. Um, and they have all said to me, I mean, without any kind of prompting on my part, the issue is the gangs are running the city, not the mayor. Can can you speak to that? Did you look into any of gang involvement in the number of these murders? Like how many of them are, you know, like this poor woman in Austin last week who was hit by, a, you know, a stray bullet, had nothing to do with any of what was going on? And how much is this um, 
gang turf wars or gang drug wars or what have you. Do you have a sense of that? I have a sense. I don't have numbers, partly because, you know, there's a very low murder arrest rate um, and an even lower um, actual case clearance rate. They play some games uh, politically with the numbers at the Chicago Police Department, but that's that's another rabbit hole. So so let's not go there. Gangs have changed. Um, they've fractured, they've disintegrated, and, um, you know, a lot of them are barely gangs. They're sometimes factions of the same gang, and a lot of the kingpins aren't like the kingpins of old. They're younger. They can barely hoist their automatic weapons. Um, they don't really... <laughs> They don't really know what they're doing, and they they shoot and kill for utterly stupid reasons, and sometimes no reason at all. Um, there's there's a lot of play on social media um, now. Now you still have like the Mexican drug cartels. Let's not you know forget about them. They're sending drugs into the city, but they're not the guys you know uh, shooting and killing people by and large. Um, on the street. Maybe some of their underlings are, but, you know, there are degrees of separation. So I'm not sure it goes down to a large gang superstructure like we had in the 80s, early 90s, and 70s. Um, right. It's just uh, more distributed um, responsibilities. Well, you know, too, as a prosecutor, I used to, when, back in when I started, I noticed a couple of things. One, it was the grandmothers that were running the families in a, uh, in a lot of these instances. And my concern always remained, and I used to say to my colleagues, what are we going to do when these grandmothers go home to God? Because there was no one else in charge. And in so many of these families, and, you know, we can have a discussion about this, uh, the loss of the father figure. This is where young boys learn to handle aggression and anger. It is the the discipline, it, the relationship of a father to son. And, you know, we got to quit thinking that people are just these, I don't know, these canvases that we can paint whatever virtue we want on. Boys learn how to handle aggression and anger from a virtuous male in their sphere. And so the father in the family. But, you know, one of the things that I always noticed about, you know, these young boys when they would come to a bond hearing and, you know, when you're a new prosecutor, you do a lot of bond hearings. The kids were never, 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 never looking at the defense, the public defender, most cases that was there for them, was never looking at the prosecutor, me, who was going to jump all over them saying how bad they were so I could get a high bond you know, to protect the community, the judge, mm -hmm. they were never looking at the person who was going to make the decision. They were always looking in the gallery. And, and really what that said for me in so many ways is somebody here for me. And I'm going to tell mm -hmm. you, you know, mm -hmm. one in a hundred times there would be somebody there. And it was usually a grandmother or, you know, a mom who's working three jobs to keep food on the table but it was never any one of their gang members. Never. They were always out there alone. And I, I really think in so many ways the gang years ago used to be the family structure for a young mm -hmm. man. But now the gangs, as you say, they are fractured. They are, uh, you know, not organized. They don't know what they're doing. And so now there is this loyalty to a hierarchical structure that doesn't even exist that is causing nothing but problems. And a gang will be on one block, but on the next block, it'll be a different gang. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's an insane asylum out there. It's, it's, it's really kind of nuts. And there's, in the near term, you know, and this is a long-term issue, um, sort of reinstituting fathership, fatherhood in in homes and and particularly latino and black homes we got the data from the state health department updated to 2020 and we found that 80 percent 82 percent of black births in chicago are to unmarried mothers for latinos right. Right. it was about 56 percent whites and asians were each down around 10 percent 
Um, so, you know, now if you look at other towns like Decatur or Rockford, half of white births are to unmarried mothers. Right. So, you know, it right. depends on the economy. We have mostly upper class educated whites in Chicago. Um, but, you know, so this is a real issue, but that's still a long term fix. It's utterly vital. And Barack Obama brought this up in 2008 yes. right. as a uh, presidential candidate, right. he made a Father's Day speech yep. about the importance of, of black fathers being around to, to do exactly what you talked about. But in the near term, we need to unshackle our police. Yes, We need to assign more of them to district-level patrols. We've got half of them in special units or desk jobs. Uh, we need to let them do foot chases. We need to let them do car chases within reason. Uh, we we need to you know end the the uh, nasty political rhetoric coming from some of this socialist party aldermen uh, calling police department white supremacists. Yes, that actually happened. Uh, we we can't have uh, city council staffers referring to them as pigs. Right. That happened too, and we can't have people smashing their windshields when they come to break up an illegal appropriation of a large intersection for stunt driving. Absolutely. Um, you know, we have to, that there, that whole thing last summer, and I fear we'll see more of it this summer, is deeper than we might think. It's not harmless fun. It's an unauthorized taking Amen. of public infrastructure. I've talked to Uber drivers. They're like, Hey, I needed to get through, man. I saw an ambulance that couldn't get through. Right. This isn't uh, this isn't beanbag, you know. Right. When when people take so, if you don't set the tone right at the get go, you know, uh, it's not going to go well, and it's not going well here. And crime is up this year so far right. compared to last year, which was up greatly over the year before and and 2019. So. Uh, we're talking about overall major crimes combined, the seven categories the FBI specifies. So things aren't looking good, and the city has a real choice now which direction to go in in this mayoral election. Right. Uh, but neither candidate is talking about fathers. Well, you know what I found interesting, Matt, in your list of solutions to this crime problem, I didn't hear one word about sending out a counselor, a mental health counselor with the police. <laughs> you know, you did not, and, and that's probably not an accident. I know, I know. And, we were you wondering know, if maybe it was in a footnote we couldn't find or something. Uh, you're no. funny. But, yeah. you know, I don't think that approach is not totally invalid. There's a place for it, but, you know, the thing is, when you send police to a mental health disturbance, very often the person will turn violent. Amen. And that has happened even in Chicago, where it turned out <laughs> the disturbed person who was off their meds had a knife and tried to stab an mm. officer. So right. also, are social workers on call at 11 p.m.? Right. You know, right. I don't think so. So and and that's I when a lot of the uh, really hinky stuff happens. So. It's yeah, it's problematic. And you know what? I think our listeners need to understand. You know, we talk a lot about crime with knives, and we think, oh well, it's not a gun. You hit the right artery, a uh, individual can bleed out seconds before or minutes before help can get to them to stop that bleeding. If you hit an artery, yeah. a knife is equally as dangerous to the victim as a gun is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And this great emphasis on gun crime, which, you know, is this sort of highly politicized phrase that is always trotted out. We've got to stop gun crime. Yes, of course, there's the obvious point that guns don't shoot themselves. And I know the progressives <laughs> hate to hear that. Yeah. But, you know, guns there are more don't than shoot four... themselves, Matt. You've got to put six pounds of pressure on the average trigger in order to pull exactly. that. Exactly. But but more than that, um, you know, look how we don't um, handle weapons felony uh, violations and weapons felony charges in Cook County courts. We've got guys with, you know, two, three, four prior weapons felony convictions, and they've been let out on parole 
or probation, and they go out and do more bad stuff. Then you've got similar guys coming through, as I said before, with a new weapons charge, and we let them out. And based on their prior convictions, they're already ticking time bombs. Right. They should be held behind bars uh, at sentencing for a good number of years. And before trial, if they've got three prior right. uh, convictions, before trial, yes. Right. on a high-cash bond or yes. no-cash bond, for protection of the community. They are a risk to the community at large. And right. we shouldn't forget, too, um, the, the Safety Act, which tried oh. and, you know, is now... We're going we're gonna, to uh, hear, I think, a preliminary ruling as soon as later this week. It's Ooh. due. You know that the court temporarily stayed yes. this right. act that would end cash bond. Uh, in Illinois, and uh, we'll find out soon where that's going. But the impulse behind it um, amongst the Democratic majority, the huge Democratic majority in Springfield was, you know, uh, we must end this. It's unfair to poor people, and the judge can can still hold someone on no cash bond. But in fact, in the fine print, the barriers to doing that were great. There was pushback. Some of the language got changed. It's not as toxic as it was, but it still authorizes anonymous complaints against police. Um, There are many things wrong with this bill. And and the point is, you get whom you elect. You you get what they're going to do. And in Chicago, one despairs slightly to see 33 or 34 percent registered voter turnout in the mayoral primary. It's not going to be much better in the general election April 4th. So most people have given up on the idea that politics is where it's at. And so we see an increasing number of cases where people are defending themselves with their legal firearms right, right. in just, Chicago. Yep. Yep. So right. is this the future, the Mad Max world, well, um, or we, not? There was just that case in um, Norwich. Uh, actually, it's right around the corner from where my, my brother lives in his condo. And these two uh, armed individuals attempted to break into an 80 an 82-year-old, yeah. and, and he pulled out a gun, and he shot one of them. And they were gone right quick. I mean, you just, you hate that this is the world we live in. Well, Matt, as we, um, anytime you're on, it always flies. But as we just kind of wrap up here, um, you mentioned April 4th. And obviously, you know, we, uh, as a non-for-profit entity here, cannot endorse or oppose any particular candidate. But no, nor a, can I. Right, Same deal. Correct. So, but, so, but this is a very stark choice we have in front of us. And... Looking into your, um, you know, your wire points crystal ball, how, how do you see this going? Or do you think anything could change between now and April 4th? I think it's very much up in the air. And, you know, the thing we need to remember is Pundit said the repudiation of Lori Lightfoot in the primary election, the first time in uh, some 40 years that right. uh, an incumbent had not made it through the primary, uh, signified uh, a reckoning over crime. Uh, well, look, they elected uh, for the finals two very different guys. Right. Voters did. And yes, obviously, Paul Vallis is the law and order candidate. Brandon Johnson is much more of a classic uh, progressive and believes, you know, in $800 million in new taxes, a good bit of that to fund uh, social programs and community investment, as he calls it. Now, you know, Vallis has his own community investment. Sometimes their language overlaps, which is something right. that people aren't talking about much. I think for voters, look into the details. Do what you never do. Don't uh, don't just go by gut instinct. Actually look at their policy proposals, and particularly on economic development and, and crime and public education. You know, who calls out? Um, uh, very low standardized test scores as a worrisome sign. And who is it that says achievement tests are a tool of white supremacists, you know? And and then that's all out there. Right. Um, right. In, in, in debate comments, press comments, uh, 
forum comments and and a lot of other stuff is in their position papers. So but Matt, I think in, voters... Matt, in violation of their own union rules, the Chicago teachers are giving donation, are giving their union dues collected. They're giving $8 per teacher to his funding, to Brandon Johnson's funding. I mean, to me, when you mentioned test scores... And then an eight dollar. I mean, it's like what three million dollars? That is that is ludicrous. That the union would be able to control the mayor of the city in an even greater amount than they currently do, based on the fact that in direct violation of their own union playbook, the union is now giving this man contributions. I I, I find that. Incredible. Yeah. So this, I think, go ahead. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, I know we need to close out here, so I'll make this quick, but I think two things. The real uh, fixing of the rules occurred in Springfield a year or two ago when the Democratic majority agreed to uh, an all elected school board because that very powerful Teachers Union Political Action Committee is going to own the school board. Um, So that's that's a huge one right there. Um, But then I think you really got to get back and this circles back to crime. Public education matters greatly. School choice is very important, not some finagled version with tip revenues that Paul Vallis is talking about, Mm -hmm. but the real, you know, true blue, full on raging school vouchers or even better educational savings accounts. And if you look at the like 50 plus schools where, you know, zero students are proficient in either math or reading. If you look at the 25% proficiency rate in, uh, in reading and math, broadly speaking, uh, in Chicago public schools, and then you look at reading proficiency for black students across all of Chicago public schools, it's, uh, 11%. Math proficiency is 6%. That is utterly scandalous. If Brandon Johnson wants to talk about institutional racism, I'll agree with him and say that Chicago public schools, by tolerating uh, that kind of uh, outcome for black students, is in fact racist uh, by not going down to Springfield and pushing super hard for competition. They're living in a cocoon and that has to end. Amen. And it's it's so just fundamentally um, abhorrent because, you know, what future do these children have if they they cannot read and they cannot write and we put them out into some of these neighborhoods, you know, to fend for themselves, essentially. It is is just, it's just horrific to think of how how desperate and sad some of these families must be when they're, they're stuck in this situation and they can't get out of it because of their zip code. It's Absolutely terrifying. Well, Matt, I, I am so grateful to you and to your your colleague Ted Dabrowski and the others at Wirepoints, mm-hmm. your t- your terrific team for everything that you're doing um, to, to, to bring the facts to us. And listeners, if if you'd like to read uh, Matt's work, you can go to wirepoints.org, wirepoints.org, and and you'll find them there. And uh, and Matt, we hope that you'll you'll come back on and, and join us again, maybe around the time of the election to. Either to, either to cry in, into our coffee or perhaps be celebrating, I, I one of the two. But this is a very, very um, important election. I think it's all going to come down to turnout. People have to show up for this election. And despite mm-hmm. Matt's views on Johnny's beef, yes, uh, we, we if you're not that, reading. Loretta, that is in the rearview mirror now. Okay. We have moved past this. All right. Well, if you're not reading Wire Points, the question is... Why not? That's right. Well, Matt, I uh, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. It was a, a pleasure to be with you. And listeners, uh, don't go away. We'll be back for our wrap-up in just a moment. This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich on Winds of Change on AM 750 WNDZ. How long has it been since you have been to church? Busy schedule? Work? Or just lost interest? To be Catholic is not just merely attending Mass as just another weekend activity to be checked off the to-do list. Participation in the sacred liturgy gives you the opportunity to be intimately connected to Christ through the Holy Eucharist. You can also cleanse yourself of sin through the Sacrament of Reconciliation as a baptized Catholic. Come before the iconic monstrance to be in Christ's presence in the sacred silence of the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy. St. Stanislaus Koska Church is open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. St. Stan's is just off the Kennedy, two blocks north of Division on Noble. Come back to Christ 
through the sacred liturgy and his gift of the sacraments at St. Stan's. We are the students of St. Stan's La Costa Academy, and you're listening to the Winds of Change. A Lenten Reflection with Monsignor Charles Pope. As Lent progresses, we move closer and closer to Good Friday, where our Lord will suffer so much for us. One of the underconfessed sins is greed. It's always that other guy that's greedy, that guy that earns a dollar more an hour than I do. We, we tend to think it's other people that are greedy, but I'm not. I wonder, though, if all of us don't realize that greed is a real problem for us. Greed is the insatiable desire for more. And in Lent, one of the goals of fasting and almsgiving is to begin to look to this desire in our life. We just have too much stuff, and it weighs us down. Lent's a good time to clean your closet. Lent is a good time to let go of some things and perhaps bring some things to the thrift shop, give some clothing to the poor. We always think that we need more, and that's that insatiable desire for more, and it's never enough. So in Lent, we look to repent of our greed. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. And welcome back. This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Fralick sitting in today for Father Anthony here on Winds of Change, EWTN's new Catholic radio voice for the Chicagoland area. Loretta, you have some remarkable. Oh, I, I can't even. I couldn't even believe it when you told me. But yes, this. Re- please share with us this remarkable miracle that you have been made aware of. Well, first of all, um, I just want to. Re- uh, this comes to us from Maria Vidia, and Maria Vidia, a friend of the show, a friend of the show. She'd have a mug if we had mugs. Right. Um, Maria Vidia, as you all know, is a lay Catholic evangelist, and she travels the world. Pro- the world. I've been to Poland and Africa with her. She she goes everywhere. Very proclaim- much respected in yes. the Catholic charismatic yes. community as well. Yes, yeah. and she goes to. All the nations, and she fulfills Matthew 10, 8, healing the sick, cleansing the leper, and driving out demons. I have seen her pray over people where all of these things happened. But she texted me. She just was on a mission trip to Ireland, and she texted me and told me that uh, this morning, and I'm over the moon. I'm so excited. It's the most wonderful thing that I have ever heard she's always said it's going to happen it's going to happen the holy spirit has used maria to raise the dead and uh i know you're probably going oh yeah right loretta tell us i mean she sent this, me a picture is, this she is sent, biblical literally tell, yes it is me. and basically the summary is that a woman died while sitting in the pew waiting for her uh events this you know there's praise and worship there's she's going to speak but a woman died sitting in the pew. She was slumped to one side. Maria huh. writes me, I was getting ready to speak, and there was a commotion. So we went over to see what was going on. The woman was not responding, not speaking, not breathing. Her color was gray. Her eyes looked exactly as with a dead person. There was a nurse trying to get her pulse and could not find one. She was lifeless like a corpse. I started to command in the name of Jesus for her to come back. I bound the spirit of death in Jesus' name and kept calling on Holy Spirit to release life again. Resurrection in Jesus' name. Praise God. After some time, maybe seven to ten minutes, she started to respond and came back. Amazing. The devil tried to disrupt and destroy the meeting, but it was all changed to God's glory. Amen. So, you know, listeners, we were talking about Asbury and how the revival spread. Mary, I know you have had an opportunity to interview a Dominican priest. I have watched uh, another priest, actually the vicar in New York, where it's happening, and Cardinal Dolan interviewed that priest oh praise revival God. is coming. here mary yeah, it is coming everybody so yeah, everybody come holy yep. spirit yep. and we'll try and get marie on the show oh, so she can talk about for, it oh that's something to look forward to hopefully for next week so yes. listeners you have a blessed week you walk with the lord happy saint patrick's day remember if you live in the archdiocese of chicago you are not dispensed from your obligation to abstain from meat unless you substitute another significant penance so please keep that in mind have a great week and we'll see you next Monday. What's there to say when the world makes no sense?
Time is now. The winds have changed. 